cooking is like that. I think, I think you can tell the mood of the chef. Mm-hmm. People, people can, have told me like, if you're not happy, your food doesn't taste as good as it does when it's happy. People can tell that you're not happy if your food's like, not as good. Yeah, like or they, vice versa. Like I think people can tell that yeah. the chef is happy cooking the food. Like I think it. Yeah. I've just been told that if I'm not in a great mood, the food doesn't taste as well. Really? <laughs> but I think that's true so, for everyone. We so, try to make sure our cooks are really happy. Hey, my name is Billy Dad, and I'm a restaurateur obsessed with what it takes to create the most memorable meals ever. Having come up working almost every position in the business, I've seen how there are usually hundreds of details that need to be orchestrated perfectly to satisfy the highest of expectations among all those that food brings together. This mix in chemistry, or lack thereof, makes for mind-blowing storytelling about more than just what's on the plate. So in each episode, with a unique and unforgettable guest, we will discuss the power of food, the importance of coming together for meals, and unravel, explore, and discover a life-changing dining experience that has forever impacted lives. This is the Meal of Your Life Podcast. Hey, what's up, everyone? This week, I get to introduce you to a really wonderful friend of mine. Her name is Chef Sarah Gruenberg, and you might have seen her on Top Chef uh, in Texas, where she did really well, but uh, I'm super excited to announce, if you don't know, that she just won the James Beard Awards which is like the Oscars of food, if you have never heard of that, the James Beard Awards Best Chef Great Lakes category. And we are freaking out, super excited. Uh, I, so at the after party, I was like, oh my gosh, we have, to, we have to celebrate, we have to get together, and we have to talk on my podcast, and she was all in. So we went to her place, Monteverde, which is in Chicago. It's been on a bunch of America's best restaurants lists, like Food and Wine and Bon Appetit, so definitely check it out. And what's really cool is not only do we talk about the power of food and getting together for meals, but there's a really interesting perspective that she shares coming up as a chef and transitioning into a restaurateur and how awesome that is and how scary that is, all trying to deliver the meal of people's lives, the best meal ever. Check this out. Thanks for doing this. You're uh, welcome. I feel like we probably said at some point, let's, hey, let's go hang out once. Let's go to have coffee. Yeah. Are we having coffee? Are you having coffee? You're having tea. Having so we're kind of, this is kind of it. Yeah, I need a coffee. I need another one. I think that's yours. It is, this is my green tea um, that I'm drinking. I'm I was just now. thinking before this, how do we meet? How do we know each other? <laughs> Just the industry, I feel like. No? But Is there I, a specific event? I don't know. It has to be something because you called me. You texted me for Thailand information. Oh, I think that's what it was. It but was you couldn't have been a first timer. We, we had to have been like, or maybe it was. Maybe you're like, hey, my name's Sarah. And I'm I going to Thailand. Your, well, we saw your post. Like you did this whole thing with them. In Thailand. Mm-hmm. Was it a show? No. It was just a... It was just social media. Okay. Was it? I don't remember. I don't even remember either. So, and then you went and you did, <laughs> you did the actual food tour that yeah. I recommended. Yeah. So when I went, it was two college kids who uh-huh. just kind of made something up on the internet and I showed up. Did I tell you about this? No. They had a um, microphone so that when they were walking down the streets, they would speak into the microphone that was connected to your ears. And then finally we were like, we don't need these because <laughs> there was only two of us. Like, this is but ridiculous. They, yeah. They like, they like planned on having this huge company with just the two of us but it was so cute they were so new it was like their first we were like their first first tour yeah they're like we want you to have thailand food experiences on the street for real did you go to chinatown or just thai um i don't i think it was all it was just it was all i don't think chinatown in bangkok with them how was it how did they do chinatown in bangkok 
It was good. The yeah. Chinatown was huge. I think because it was, um, it was uh, Chinese New Year. Oh, right. When we were there, so. And you were there because you were, you were testing out sort of. I was on a, I did a cruise with food and wine. Yeah. In Holland and America. And they were like, hey, you want to come on and do demo some class, do some classes and cook? And I was like, sure. And then they're like, well, pick which cruise you want to do. And so we were like, Asia? Yeah. Yes. But you so, had a reason. Like you were, didn't you, didn't you sort of, you had interest in the way in which. I had interest, but yeah. I really wanted to, I hadn't experienced it firsthand. Asia so, at all. So we, we flew to Singapore. And then we were in Singapore for two days. And then we went to. Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam. How amazing are those? And Hong Kong. And it was a great way to like just experience little parts I for like I, a first trip. With a group? Well, it was a cruise. Yeah, it was a cruise. So we were like the youngest people on the cruise because like right. only retirees have two weeks to take a cruise off. To just go to all yeah. those companies. Yeah. So and then we ended in Hong Kong and then we stayed like five days in Hong Kong and then we went to Tokyo. Sitting here at Monteverde and talking about that first trip, you were already sort of concepting this out back then in your Not mind really. a little bit. I mean, it was. Or was it just a freedom trip? Because you were, you'd, you'd done Top Chef. Well, the, Bill Kim is who really kind of inspired me from the beginning mm -hmm. um, for the, like having a walk here at the restaurant and some of the more exploratory cooking that we're doing. Um, and he. Is there a walk here now? Uh-huh. Oh, okay, yeah. Do you yeah. and you use the walk? Oh yeah, we have a full jade walk. You for Italian food. For Italian food. So what do you what do you? Right now we have clams. Oh, okay. Um, with ramps and guanciale and like a broth with bread, and then we also do the walk fried arrabbiata, the squid ink pasta with shrimp and spicy chili oil. Oh nice. And tomato. Did he inspire you or make you think that that was a possibility before that trip, or or was it after? It was before the trip because. Top Chef, so like to back up, 2011, Top Chef, they were like, hey, why don't you cook something else that's not Italian food? And I was like, what do you mean? Italian food's freaking <laughs> awesome. Right. Like, and they were like, you should cook your food. And so I didn't really know what that meant at the time. And um, I knew I was inspired by the cooks that I was competing against mm -hmm. because you don't really get to bring anything with you. You don't get to bring like recipes or cookbooks or, or your phone. Right. So the inspiration would be like the food that the other competitors were cooking around me. And I was okay. like, oh, that's a cool technique. Oh, I had never seen tomatoes grated on a box grater before. And so, and I've taken a lot of those things with me now. A lot of people might go on that show and just be like me. Yeah. But I was like, ooh, what are you doing over there? And oh, this is like a stage, you right. know, like it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so um, watching Beverly and uh, Paul Key, uh, Beverly was cooking very much Korean food and Paul was cooking this like Japanese, Texas kind of cuisine. So then to fast forward, I did the finale, to prepare for the finale, I called Bill Kim and I was like, hey, can I come stage with you? And he was like, sure. So then I staged at Urban Belly, I staged at Belly Shack, and then he took me in the car and we went to the Japanese market, the Vietnamese market, and the Korean market. Awesome. And he showed me like all these ingredients. And like he, I think at the time, was like kind of exploring like this mix of Italian and Asian. Not so much, but he, I think he feels like the cultures are very similar, hmm. and um, that was really kind of fun. What goes into, in your world, or what went into Monteverde when you were creating the concept? 
uh, from that point forward because I feel like as restaurateurs and of course you're an amazing chef and congratulations on your chef award James my Beard. Beard award. Oh I my know. god I can't believe it. Did you hear the high-pitched scream in the background? That was me. <laughs> that was Thank me. You. I, there's thousands of people screaming for you but there was this one really awkward oh scary god. scream. I love that. We... That was me. I was so excited. So excited for you. I wish I could go back and relive that moment. It was the most. Did you think you were going to win? Incredible experience. Um, that I think I was going to win. This is a tough one. I had a weird gut feeling. Really? Like it was my, like I was, I just knew. I was like, this is happening. And then I came back to cloud to earth and I was like, no, it's not. What is wrong <laughs> with you? Who? Like shaming myself that I felt confident yeah. that I would win. Was it confident or positive? Because you're kind it of a positive it person. It wasn't cocky confidence. It was like this weird, eerie gut. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God. And then I was talking to different people and different chefs and they're like, well, you never went on your first time. I heard that too. And I was like, okay, well then warn, I'm warn. really crazy to be thinking this. And I was like, you know, Lee Wolin is so talented and he's, I think it's his second or third time. Erling Bauer, who... I mean, he's got the Paul Cahan votes. Like, Once again, you were surrounded by all Chicagoans, too. That yeah. never happens. And then Abe Conlon, who's like... Awesome. He's just never awesome. Happens. And yeah. he's so unique in himself. And then Beverly and Johnny, like, cooking awesome Korean-American food that they were up for Best chef, best New Restaurant, James Beard, like, three years ago. Yep. So it was a really tight group. And... Um, I don't know. We just had a great year. We had a great year. I think people don't realize that who votes for James Beard is the people who are previous winners. Yes. So, and that's winners from the law on the board. It's wine, beverage, all the regional chefs, media, books. Like, there's a lot of different voters. So just because you're like, oh, I think I have this group, it, it you know, it just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really know how it all works out. I would love to see the spread, but... I don't, you know, it's... That would probably be a really interesting it would be. In, I feel like it would be really tight. I feel like it Did would it be like feel, neck to neck. You've never been in this situation before, but it had to have felt a little bit different than what you would have expected being all Chicagoans again. It was almost like Top Chef. You have six Chicagoans that right. you're competing against. How many were... It was six five, of you total. Five. Five total? Well, six because of Johnny and, right. and Beverly are two. Right. But that they're, they're one vote, right. I guess. So, yeah. I but don't did know. Did that feel awesome because you were all one Chicago team or did it feel like oh my god I might be taking something away from one of my fellow brothers and sisters or you're um, like no I'm going for the throat <laughs> I, I don't know I honestly I felt kind of bad for the other states that didn't get into it oh yeah because it's a Great Lakes region right so I think some people were like well they should make a Chicago like at one point New, like York New York City York was in right. maybe there should be a Chicago one but I think the real great thing about it is that now that the Beard Awards are in Chicago you can see yeah. how that's helped and so I'm so glad the mayor did that right like, what do we have Chicago. five more until 2021 oh nice so, so and it's great for Chicago it's great for the food scene it's great Absolutely. to bring people in and to keep you on your game like once a year it's like alright let's clean it up yep. ramp <laughs> it up spring cleaning you know like yep. gets the team going so, um, How often do you find that you have to do that? Often. Often. I'm going through one of those moments now where it was like, everything feels like it's really great. And yeah. then all of a sudden it's like, I'm like, I hate everything. I remember you were asking me early on, because you were this amazing chef and you were, tr you were sort of evolving into this restaurant tour. And there was like some small, quick conversations. And one time you looked at me like you saw a ghost <laughs> the first, like, first week or so. Because you were insane. like, uh, there's a lot. It's a I'm, lot. 
And how, how do you even describe it? I don't know how, I don't know if I could go back and live that week or that, not the week, but just the months of it. Like I remember the time before we opened and me thinking once we open, it's going to be harder. But I honestly think the time before you open is the hardest because yeah. there's so many unknowns and you can't like work through anything yet. Like as restaurant people and as a chef's, you work through things through motion, not through like meetings and you know, high political, like maybe this will happen or this will happen or people like this. Um, and then once we opened, it was like a snowball. And then I was just like, you know, sleeping like not a lot, like five or six hours a day, yeah. trying to be here at 9 a.m. every day, closing. Welcome, like welcome it's to just, my life. It welcome is what to it life is. as a restaurateur. Yeah, it's insane. Because now you are 100% responsible for the entire meal experience for... Mm -hmm every single guest mm -hmm. and even the ones that don't come because they're hearing about it right like you're just yeah. you're 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 entirely responsible for this orchestration of thousands of things right. that could or couldn't happen right to how do you approach the management of that how do you how do you orchestrate that how do you put um, your touch on that well i think how do you attack up it? until recently i hadn't eaten at the restaurant like up for like I know what, what is that thing? What? I mean, I've eaten the food. <laughs> I hadn't a... walked in the door and like <laughs> sat down and ate it. Sat down. And Did ate. I just make a face? You go. What yeah. is that face? Yeah. You're like you should have done that way before. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, when you said, "Hey, can I ask you some questions?" That one didn't come up. I would have said, "Yes, eat your food. <laughs> well, eat, eat your the food." food oh, okay. But I mean, like being a guest. Okay. You were I, right. That's course, a different I, thing. We eat the food every day. We do line checks and fire stuff off, and I mean. Yeah. I practically don't eat staff meal because I'm eating line check. Okay. Um, and then once I sat down and ate, that's when the fine tuning happened. So like everything was, I mean, I try to inspire the team and inspire the cooks and the servers and the service team about the inspiration of the dish, give them some information of the memory or the place or why we're doing this dish the way we are. And then having them taste it and the cooks too. But until I sat down and ate and was like, you know, this is kind of hard to eat. Or, you know, this would be better if there was lemon, candy lemon all over it versus just one spot. Like those kinds of fine tunings don't happen when you sit there. And as a chef, like right. you can plate something and you're like, this is awesome. But then when you sit down and eat as a guest, it's like, this is clunky and hard to get the bite that you want. And so then you kind of have to sacrifice this chefy. I like the way it looks. Yeah, the artist meets the efficient yeah, like, uh, restaurateur. Exactly. And so that's, if I told anybody, I would say that's what you should do early on. But it's hard to figure out the days. When you're here every day, you're open. Right. So it's hard to figure out that. And then how about the rest of the experience? Because you're, you're probably looking at steps of service, uniforms, well, lights. I, yeah, Meg and, Meg and Jamie did a lot of that early on. I was kind of involved, but it got at first I wanted to be involved in it and then the kitchen became so big that I was just like I trust you guys you guys do it right, right. it's like you can't be everywhere you know the food was I was working on the food before we opened but I really couldn't work on the food until you're in the space like I know people are like oh we're in a kitchen and cook in a kitchen that doesn't mean anything like the way you cook in your kitchen is totally different and I think like I would try to cook at home 
but then I didn't want to cook on high because I was cleaning the kitchen like every day. Right. So like if you cook on high, <laughs> it splatters everywhere. You're like, I have this giant mess at the house now. So it's like I need to be in the restaurant where I can cook on high, splatter everywhere. And have support. And have support to help clean it up. So, uh, I mean, there were some dishes. The two cl- classic, I don't want to say classics. We're only a year and a half old. But the two, like dishes that are on the menu since day one that I think have become a very Monteverde thing is the prosciutto butter toast, which is the radishes. And that that was created at my house. And then the cacio e pepe was also created at my house when I made ricotta. Because I was like, oh, maybe I should make ricotta for the restaurant. And then I had all this whey. And then I was like, oh, whey could go into the sauce. And then that was like, that's when I feel like I can pinpoint the the running like okay now here's the vision because I we'd always wanted to do this tipica pasta and atipica which are the two sections on the menu but I didn't know how far to push the our pasta section the atypical one you know I didn't want it to be like what is this I don't know what this is and people you know judging too harshly so once the how do you ride that balance I mean because what how what do you want your guests to experience because you want them to explore and be fascinated for the first time, but you also want to stay within a comfort zone or you yeah, don't like want to... So you're really cooking for two diners, I feel like. I feel like you're cooking for your restaurant community and you're cooking for the rest of the public, which are very different diners. So like a dish right now on the menu, which is super delicious, which is roasted asparagus with morels and manchego fonduta and a duck egg, is great for both. Right. But it's like, as a chef, it's almost like too simple. And by the way, those two categories, you mean restaurant industry, but you also mean like media. You mean like right. the, the, those that award people. Influencers, the people right. who are going to, the critics. Those critics are in day one. Yeah. Right? So like you can't have it be too simple. But then like we wanted this restaurant to be a place where all the people living in the West Loop can come and have a pasta and a salad and sit at the bar or have a table and not feel like they have to do the whole Monteverde experience, right? They can come in for a weeknight meal. And so your menu has to cater to that guest and the... Do you find the challenge in each dish to kind of make it extravagant but comforting? Or do you have a strategic mix of both? Probably a strategic mix of both. Yeah, because it's really hard to, it's really hard to, the second you begin to compromise on something that is a bit, you know, innovative, it's no longer as innovative, right? (laughs) Right? And I think your guests have to trust you. So I think like there's certain ingredients that people won't eat at every restaurant, but that same diner will eat it at one restaurant and on another restaurant because they don't trust the chef. Does that make sense? Yes. So like, you know, Stephanie Izard, who's an incredible chef, created an entire restaurant on goat. Like, could you imagine if one of your chefs came to you and said, I want to open a goat restaurant? (laughs) Like, it's incredible. Yeah. But she did it with such force and ease and creativity and passion that now, I mean, people are eating goat tartare. You know, people are eating everything. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's kind of really incredible um, as a chef to have your vision and to really push through it. What was your meal experience like as a kid? What were as meals a child? like? Yeah, growing up. What were your meals like? Oh, I mean, you were in Texas. I was in Texas. I, you're my meals were the best part of the day. I love to eat. It was like my favorite part. We're eating! Yes! So excited! You know what I mean? Like, 
I'm not having any shame in my game. Like that was what it was about. How did it come about? To try different foods. Was someone calling you to lunch or breakfast well, or was no, it a standard th thing? Were you cooking? Um, we cooked a lot, but I was raised by my mom, a single mom. So uh, when I say cook, like we cooked together, I guess, but it was like very simple things. Like baked potato was a dinner, but it was like one of my favorite dinners. Was it? Um, yeah, I mean, who doesn't love baked potato? I love a baked potato. <laughs> Uh, the only problem I've is never seen anyone smile that big for a baked potato. Really? Oh, I got to show you how to make a baked potato then. <laughs> I had a friend that was like, I hate you. You've been making baked potatoes like that your whole life? You got First, you got to mix the butter and in the, in the, in the, get the potato creamy and going. Yeah. You can't just put it all on top. You got to and it's season that layer. Yeah, it's, a strate it's strategic. I want to try. You got to put some chives in to get the onion flavor in the potato. Then you have to put some on top. I'll show you. Show me. Show you the Sarah baked potato. Um, <laughs> but then my grandparents, I would go stay with them for a few weeks in the summer. And they... Um, Still Texas? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone's in Texas. How hot is it in Texas in the hot, summer? Hot, like 110 degrees. What do you it's eat hot. when it's 110 degrees? Oh, well, you're inside. Everyone lives in the AC, <laughs> so you eat meat and all that stuff. But so you don't grill? Oh, you grill. Oh, oh, yeah. It's like barbecue and it's under a shade tree and there's beers. And True. Not for me, but when I was little. So I guess like barbecue and um, my grandmother would make bread and jam and pickles and my grandfather made sausage. They all made, they made everything from scratch basically. Um, and then we and grew, you really got to see that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was all like of the earth, I guess, of the, of the land. We would go fishing and speckled trout and redfish, just like redfish is on the menu. You had that dish, the redfish shakapatsa. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so I think like learning about where food comes from. And then my mom had to travel for her job. So if you look at a week snapshot of my childhood, she would maybe have to travel anywhere from two to four, five days a week. Wow. And different time, and this was when I was what? like three till 12. What did she do? She was a regional director for a home health company mm. and was in charge of three states. And she busted her butt and yeah. made a good living and was able to provide for me and pay for my culinary school and wow. you know she was she really wanted to prove that she didn't need sorry a man to 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 you know yeah. you know that saying I no guess. offense taken but <laughs> trust me no but she I think that's why I'm so strong willed and entrepreneur strength um which I thanked her at the beard awards for yeah. and uh so I stayed with different people which sounds weird but I was kind of like, um, I would go and stay with a family friend and we, they would cook. She was from Georgia, so she would cook one way. And then another part of my life, I stayed with neighbors who were elderly um, mm -hmm. and she was from Mississippi and she cooked a different way. And so I like had all these people in my life that loved me dearly who didn't necessarily have children, but kind of like adopt me for a few days a week. And yeah. then they would give me, send me back home. And then my mom and I would go and cook and travel and do stuff. But And it, that is just like so amazing mix of southern food and styles yeah and so i learned at a young age that like i think a lot of kids eat the same food the parents yeah. cook the same things right so i was eating like all this different stuff and different people influence me i think i could see how that would influence you is there is there one particular meal that you can think of or that just makes you feel totally um it's just incredibly memorable and that is is maybe had an effect on your life 
I mean, sure. I mean, it I think could any. I mean, gosh, it could have been from your mom, your grandma, your your I think from travels. childhood. It's thanks Thanksgiving is like that was when like nothing was. I mean, I guess everything was made from scratch, but it also had like Campbell's soup and Ritz crackers and stuff on it. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. But my mushrooms, Cam mushroom yeah. Campbell's soup yeah. and your green beans. But it was like really Castle. good. They like did different things with it. I don't know. Um, Who was there? Uh, my whole family. So my, my grandparents, they had four children. And then, so we're really like immediate family with cousins and aunts and uncles. It's like 28 of us. Yeah. So even now when we get together, it's like now it's like 35. It's a lot. Um, do you still do that in Texas? Yes. That's yeah. awesome. What was it like back then? What did you get involved with the cooking or was it just like, I don't think so. Not too much. Um, but now when I go back, I'm always making a dish. I'm sure they're probably like, do you feel like you're you're obligated to do something really special or are you going straight back to your old school stuff um no i, I i'm obligated to make a great salad because no one knows how to make a great salad in your family or in the south and, i mean in in well like people don't like to buy lettuce and clean it anymore right people <laughs> think salad comes out of a bag it's true this is like a bad thing that's yeah. happening um so i'll make a salad and put the stuff in it yeah. and they're like that salad's so good i'm like yeah it's don't yeah. forget about the salad. Um, last last Thanksgiving, they did some weird, they called it like Chinese cabbage salad, and they bought like wontons mm -hmm. and shredded cabbage. I don't know. I was like, I don't know about this salad. They did that? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you're, they, uh, you're back like, on salad? <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. So, and then also fried oysters. Like, everyone loves fried oysters. I love fried oysters. Fried oysters are one of my favorite foods. Did you learn that there? Or is that something At Brennan's. So I cooked yeah. at Brennan's for right. four years, which is right. a famous restaurant group out of New Orleans mm -hmm. and the chili fried oysters there were like that's a great dish is there a, a story of a particular Thanksgiving or a memory at that Thanksgiving meal that that sticks out at all or that has any any sort mm -hmm. of extra significance or I mean I think when I think of Thanksgiving I think of my grandmother would make sausage bread which was my grandfather's homemade venison sausage and she makes like a yeast dough and wraps it around the sausage and they bake it. So it's like a giant kolache. What, what, where does this go back? Where did he get this? Where, where is this from? It's very German. I think so German, Czech. Right. So she would make these and have them and we'd eat this for breakfast. And she'd make cinnamon, homemade cinnamon rolls. How is it made? What is it? I've, so, I've it's so it. good. Right. I actually want to make it if we ever open brunch. Um, I will be your taste tester. Okay. <laughs> it's like a giant loaf of bread, but there's sausage in the middle of it. And then they slice it and toast it and you put butter and jam on it. It's really good. So sausage bread in the morning. And then my favorite things was my grandmother's cornbread dressing. She would make homemade cornbread and make the dressing, which was like incredible. And my grandfather, he cooks the turkey and he cooks it for like hours. He does the opposite of what everyone does where it's the oven and it looks beautiful. He cooks it till it falls apart. Like it looks like nothing's left, but it's tender and it like braises itself. So the white, everything is really juicy. And it's like sitting in the, he calls it the juice. Sitting in. <laughs> Sorry. That's great. That's the kitchen. That's the kitchen. <laughs> um, and uh, then my grandmother makes dewberry pie. And so these are wild berries that grow in the pasture. And it's like a mix between a blackberry and a black raspberry. So this, they're kind of seed forward, but they're really sweet and delicious. And she makes dewberry pie. So like those are the three things. Mm -hmm. And then um, my cousin Cody is my oldest cousin. He would hide the dewberry pie from me when I was little. Tell me there was none left. <laughs> so now, yeah, it was kind of fun. What do you think Thanksgiving's time. gonna be like in 20 years for you? I don't know, that's, that's, 
That's sad to think of. My grandparents are still alive, so I hope I can go oh, back to are. one Thanksgiving with them. Um, and 20 years, it's going to be with Jamie and hopefully my mom and my family, um, my mom and my aunt, they'll come. I don't know. I don't think we'll have any children, so that's kind of scary. How do you know? I don't know. You're just positive. You never know. Because I, I don't know if I can have, I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> as a female chef, I don't know how a woman has kids and runs a restaurant. But, I don't, but we know some. I, oh, I know we know some. I, don't, I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Maybe one day. Women are incredibly powerful. Incredibly they have powerful. figured out much, much <laughs> harder things to do that I would never even want to attempt. Yes. Right now, I feel like I have like 50 kids because yeah. at the restaurant, I'm so involved in all, everyone's life. Yeah, right. So like, I'm, I, I'm pretty, and my, I love my cat, so. I have 650. You have 650 children. And now I just don't know what to do. Um, last question, because I don't even know. I couldn't guess what your answer is going to be. But if you had only one meal that you could make, uh, sort of gruesome to say your last meal, but if you had one meal that you, you the last meal you could have, the, the one meal that you could have. Oh, man, the one meal. I mean, is it a baked potato? <laughs> it's probably is not it, a baked potato. It's I not mean, a baked maybe. potato. It's a smorgasbord. Yeah, <laughs> it's a smorgasbord. There's a baked potato right. there. Let's just say this is the table. <laughs> this is the table. We are at a pretty sizable communal table. What is on it? This is, Sarah, this is your meal. Not for other people, right. not for the press, not for the consumers out there in the marketplace. Okay. Could be for you and your family or sure. the people you love. Or it could just be for you. What's on this table? All right. So what's on it is a loaded baked potato, <laughs> uh, the chili fried oysters. I'm laughing at your face again. <laughs> chili fried oysters, uh, sausage bread, um, tagliatelle with homemade bolognese sauce would be on there. Um, and probably a really delicious steak if I had to. I don't know. There's so many options. Raw oysters and then there's martinis. <laughs> Lots of martinis everywhere. <laughs> Who's with you? Um, well, Jamie is with me, of course. Um, Meg, I hope Meg and Dave are there, my business partners. Uh, Rob Mosier, also a business partner. But we were all line cooks together. The five of us were line cooks together at Spiaggia. Now we run this restaurant. And um, That's awesome. It's, it's, it's Magic. Thank you. It is. It's like eerily weird that it happened that way. Um, and then hopefully maybe Emerald would be there because he's a ton of fun. And I don't know. Everybody, I want it to be a big party. <laughs> you have to come. You have to be there. I, I'm already. I ha that's when I'm showing you how to make the baked potato. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, that's everyone that I've spoken about. I'd love to be there. I, I love. I love that meal because it just weaved through everything. All right. Shout out to my girl, Chef Sarah Grunberg. If you'd like to get in touch with her, she's at. Chef Sarah Jane on Twitter, and you can also check her at Monteverde, her restaurant in Chicago, which rocks. I hope you do that. Thank you so much for supporting, and also please remember to subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher, and always rate and review. It's really important not only for exposure, but it helps me understand how to get better. I want to hear you guys and uh, do the best that I can. So as long as you do that, I will keep working hard to get great interviews and great conversations and share uh, some amazing things with you as best I can. Thank you very much to Pods Loaded for producing this podcast. You can find them on podsloaded.com.